Thanks for tuning in to the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast, where we're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. My name is Franco Terrazano, and I'm the Alberta Director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And today, I'm joined by Colin Craig, who is the president of SecondStreet.org. They are a nonprofit organization, and their mission is to tell stories about everyday Canadians and how they're impacted by government policies. Now, Second Street recently released a report titled The Last Government Pay Cut, and that's what we're here to talk about today. But before that, just a little bit more background on Colin. He used to be with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. He was our Manitoba and Saskatchewan director. And he was also our Alberta director just before I took over. You know, he recommended that I join the CTF. And for that, I'm very thankful. But if you're not happy with the work that I'm doing for taxpayers in Alberta, well, Colin is the man that you should be blaming. Let's dive right into this report, okay? The last government pay cut. Now, why do you think that Canadians should should know about the details here? And why should they care about the last time that government employees received a pay cut? Well, you know, I, I think it really boils down to question of fairness. I think when you talk to most people, they would say that you get what you pay for. If, if you don't offer a good competitive compensation package to people that work in government, you're not going to get very good employees. But at the same time, the compensation levels for those in government should be comparable to those working outside of government. And we, we know f- many studies now have shown that there's a big gap. Those in government tend to make more in terms of their pay compared to people doing similar work outside of government. At the same time, the pensions tend to be, they, they tend to have pensions and also they tend to be very, very generous and costly in government compared to those who work outside of government who tend not to have a workplace pension. And there's several other perks in that that contribute to a large gap. But at the same time, quite often what we see is that when times get tough, we don't hear of pay reductions in government. We hear of that happening outside of government. And intuitively, I knew that it was rare for governments to actually cut their employee pay. But I thought, well, let's actually see what the data shows. When was the last time that different government bodies cut their pay? And just kind of compare that with what we're seeing now during COVID, because there's been lots of stories in the news of all kinds of different organizations cutting pay from Sonovus, uh, the large energy giant in Alberta, to Canadian football league teams across the country. I mean, Cineplex Odeon has cut pay for their uh, more senior staff and so forth. So there's been tons of examples outside of government. We thought, well, let's see what's going on in government. Well... Colin, let's talk about the question that's on everyone's mind right now. When was the last time our federal government employees received a pay cut? Well, the federal government actually told us that they don't have any records of ever cutting employee pay. So it sounds like it's never happened at the federal level for the different bargaining units. And and just on that note, the data that we obtained, the information that we got from different governments, it covers off most government employees, the vast majority of them. There may be some examples where someone doesn't fall in a particular bargaining unit or collective agreement or whatever. This is especially true at the management level where you might see some pay cuts. But we're talking about the large mass of government employees who do come under these agreements. And that's what the federal government told us is that they don't have any records. And I was surprised by this because I thought during the the Kretsch and Martin era, they did make a lot of tough spending decisions. And I thought, well, certainly there would have been something back then. But according to the federal government, it didn't happen. 
Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And, and you know, something that we've been talking about at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, especially recently, right, where we've seen so many people in the private sector have to scale back, tighten their belts. And, and that's why the CTF, we're, we're going for a 15 and 15 approach federally is what we're terming it. So we're calling for a 15% reduction in the size of the federal government workforce, followed by a 15% pay cut uh, to the remaining government employees. And, and we think that would be very fair. And look, we need to find savings in that would result in billions of dollars of annual savings. Now, Colin, you've already kind of touched on a key point here, and that's one on fairness. So can you talk about the differences that you saw when looking at government versus the private sector and how they respond to the downturn, but also maybe just some of the pay differences that you saw as well? Yes. Yeah, so generally, when the downturn hit and when times get tough in government, they don't cut pay. I mean, it's, it's very, very rare for governments to actually go out and reduce their employee pay. Sometimes you will see freezes, but you don't typically see an actual pay reduction. And there's, they operate very much in a different world from the rest of society. So what happens in government is instead of tightening their belts and making sure that they balance their budget and so forth, they just rack up debt. So they will make sure that their employees continue to get paid without any kind of spending restraint or any kind of pay cuts or anything like that. And they, and to pay for it, they go out and they borrow money. And then it's the next generation that really has to pay for that. And everyone that obviously is, is paying taxes, is that debt gets incurred and has to get paid for every year. So that's the approach in government. Outside of government, businesses can't operate that way. They just can't go out and borrow tons of money every time they run into a difficult situation and avoid tightening their belts. It's not how businesses work. They operate in a competitive model and they have to be cost effective. And it's, it's, it's an unfortunate reality that economies are not smooth over time. There are disruptions where there's ups and downs. And during the downs, it's, it's very common to hear of, of workers having to take pay cuts. And, and so you will see that that will happen outside of government. And, and like I say, it's, it's very, very rare in, in government for uh, that to happen. And you know what, so we're not just talking about um, when we're talking about costs here to taxpayers, of course, we're not just talking about federally, I'm here in Alberta, and at the provincial level, labor costs make up uh, a little bit, or, or I should say around half of the government's day to day spending. So that's a huge portion of the bill. Um, now, Colin, what did you find on the provincial level in terms of the last government pay cuts? It was very much a similar story, pay cuts at the provincial level, we did find some examples, they're very, very rare. BC really didn't have very good data for us. Alberta, we know that back in 1994, the government cut pay by 5%. So that was 26 years ago. And there have certainly been a couple of recessions that Alberta's gone through since then, including most recently. Alberta's been in, in a tough economic position, as you know, Franco, since about 2015. So there still haven't been pay cuts at the provincial level. We'll see what happens with the, the current provincial government. They've certainly been uh, softening the ground for, for something. The Saskatchewan government gave us data going back to 1998, and there haven't been any pay reductions since that time. Manitoba's had a couple examples back in uh, the 1990s under Premier Pallister, or pardon me, Premier Philman. They had a reduced work week where they would basically, employees would have to take 10 days off and get unpaid. They wouldn't get paid for them. So it's 10 unpaid days a year. So it's not the same as a pay cut. It's just unpaid. They would take time off and not get paid for it. So I'd like to say it's a little bit different, but it's sort of going in that direction of, of restraint. 
they did that in uh, the 90s under uh, Premier Philman. Right now with Premier Pallister, they did something similar. Instead of 10 days, it was five days. And I think it was just a, a one-year thing. In Ontario, under Premier Bob Ray, back in the 1990s, they did something similar to Manitoba. It was structured a bit differently. It was up to 12 unpaid days a year that employees would have to take. But they had a, a floor in there saying that if you made under $30,000, you wouldn't be affected by it. So the lower income government employees weren't affected. So there have been a few examples here and there over the years, but nothing really recent with the exception of that example from Manitoba that I mentioned, which still isn't exactly the same as a, a pay cut. So it's certainly an option that could be on the table for many provincial governments if they're trying to figure out how they can get their deficits and spending under control. Well, and this is certainly something that I'm, I'm talking about in Alberta, where we've seen about five years of economic hardship. So many people outside of government, you know, unfortunately have lost their job or have had, had to take pay cuts just to keep putting food on the table. And, you know, over the last five years in, in Alberta, we've seen government labor costs increase. Now, there is something else that caught my attention in this report that I think our audience needs to hear about. Now you have a section of the report that's titled when government pay freezes are actually pay increases. And you talk about what happened in Alberta. So can you just give us an overcap of what's going on there? Yeah. And it it gets a little bit uh, complicated. It's much easier if you actually sit down and look at the agreements, but the, the short answer is that it's pretty common in government union, government employee union contracts for employees to get a pay increase through one of two means. Generally for younger employees, they'll get the the standard increase that happens for, that gets announced. You might hear that, you know, a particular union's getting a percent increase of say two or three or 4% or whatever it is. But then there's also sort of a a jobs or salary grid that employees are paid on. And so it's generally based on how long they've been employed. So a teacher with a, say a class five certification would be paid out of a particular column and there'd be all these steps. And what would happen is that each step represents the number of years that they've worked. So once you go from your second year to to your third year, you automatically get a pay hike plus the the pay hike that was announced, say it was two or 3%. There's those two ways that they get cuts. And what happened under the previous government in Alberta under Premier Notley is they froze one of the ways that employees would get a pay cut, but not the other. So in that teacher's union agreement, because they could still get these pay increases by going up through the various steps, it worked out to around a $200 million cost for taxpayers from these pay increases from the contract that the government communicated included a pay freeze. So taxpayers need to be mindful that (laughs) wage freezes are not always wage freezes when governments announce them. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, in the real world, when you get a freeze, you get a freeze. You don't make a little bit extra money. You don't make a lot of extra money. You make the same amount. But we're, we're seeing that with, with government employees who were able to work their way up the pay grid. And of course, that's costing taxpayers. And that's costing taxpayers' money at the worst possible time. And, and we have what- let note, Franco, kudos to you, because you've done a lot of really good research in Alberta, digging into those costs contracts to find all these little nuggets of pay and special surprise bonuses that people seem to be getting. And, and we need to be doing more of that as, as taxpayers, as watchdogs, whatever, as Canadians, just keeping an eye on government spending and really looking into the finer details. And you've done a great job on that. 
Well, thanks, Colin. And, and speaking of benefits, we're not just talking about pay when, when we talk about overall compensation. And we're going to get to city pay because that's very important. But before we get to city pay, you brought up the benefits. So let's talk about another jaw-dropping report that SecondStreet.org put out that looked at uh, city pensions. Can you give us an overview of what you found? Because it is jaw-dropping. Yeah, it's it's pretty surprising. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that it's 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 very common in government for employees to have a workplace pension. Almost everyone gets one in government. Outside of government, most people don't get a workplace pension. But in some cities, they offer not just one pension, but two. They have typically a very generous main pension plan that all employees get. And then they have these secondary pensions, which top up that first pension plan. So it's sort of like layering gold upon, you know, an already golden pension. And so we did a a little bit of a a research into what's been happening at, I think it was 10 major cities that we looked at across Canada to see what the cost is of these secondary pensions. And then also we were aware that uh, at the city of Calgary, some employees actually get a third pension plan. So they get the generous pension plan plus two top up. Plans. We wanted to see, well, how common it is for people to get these, these uh, third pensions as well. And what we found was that Calgary actually led the pack in terms of cost for these additional pension plans. They had, it was around 2,000 employees that the city was paying over $10 million a year paying for costs related to these second and third pension plans. So Calgary was very neat. It was head and shoulders above everyone else. They were at about $10.9 million. The city in second place was Edmonton at about 4.4 million. So they were less than half of Calgary. There were a few other cities where they had these costs, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, Winnipeg, Mississauga, Brampton, and Halifax. Oh, pardon me, not Winnipeg, Brampton and Halifax. So people can go on our website and take a look at the report. But it's just, it's one additional charge that taxpayers have to pay for, while most taxpayers certainly aren't getting that benefit. Yeah, and that's an important part, especially in Alberta, where the vast majority of workers outside of government, they don't even get a workplace pension, let alone a golden defined benefit pension, let alone a second or third pension, which some city of Calgary employees are getting. And unfortunately, Calgary taxpayers have the dubious honor of being the only major Canadian city to be paying for some of its employees to get three pensions and for the mayor to be getting two pensions. So we're talking about cities. Let's stay on the city on the city train here because as taxpayers all know, a large chunk of our money is going towards to pay property taxes. And we spoke about the federal government pay increases or, or lack of pay cuts, I should say. We talked about the provinces. Well, let's get back to the cities. What did you find in your report in terms of city pay cuts? Yeah, it, it was much the same as what we found with the other two levels of government, and that is that they're pretty much non-existent. The city of Calgary gave us data going back to the 1970s, and there's been no pay cuts since then. That was probably the most surprising one, just given the, the number of times that Calgary has gone through a recession over the past you know, 30, 40 years. Government employees have largely been exempt from that, that financial hardship that, that people felt. Edmonton gave us data going back to 1985, no evidence of pay reductions there. Several other cities, they basically said the same thing. Our data goes back to this point. We don't have any examples of it. Ottawa said 2001. That's when their data went back to it. Nothing there. It's just the the same old story that the financial difficulties just, they're not being spread out 
equally. And, and you know, just to be clear, I, I'm not excited about the idea of government employees having to face financial difficulties on an individual level. I mean, it's tough. Pay reductions suck and no one wants one. I've taken one in the past and they're not fun to deal with. But again, to go back to my comment at the beginning, it's a question of fairness. If everyone tightens their belt a bit, then it becomes easier for people. And, and you mentioned a, a very good point, and that is that a lot of cities have been raising their property taxes. And one way they could avoid it would be to tighten their, la- tighten their belts, cut back on their labor costs a bit. It's, it's one positive way that governments can avoid layoffs is by everyone feeling the burden a bit. And if everyone took a two or three or 4% pay cut, 5%, whatever the number is, that's one way they can avoid layoffs instead of always presenting this ultimatum to taxpayers that it's either service cuts or tax increases. The third option is to just do a better job with tax dollars, you know, look at things like pay reductions. So people, the services can still be provided, but it, it just doesn't mean that taxpayers have to pay as much for them, essentially. Well, I'm glad you brought up that last point there. I think it's very important because, you know, I, I'm going to, end with one question here for you. And I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate. I want to, I want to know what you would say to this. And what would you say to people who maybe read this report and they say, well, hold on a second. Why would we be cutting government pay? Uh, like, wouldn't that take away from services? Why, why should politicians be reducing the pay of their government employees? Well, I, I think there's a, a few things to keep in mind. One, it's a question of fairness. Should only people outside of government face pay reductions while being forced to pay taxes to fund people in government who never have to tighten their belts through pay reductions. That's one thing I think to contemplate. The second thing is that if you're in government, you might almost want to advocate for pay reduction because the reality is, is that governments are spending far too much than what society can afford. There's going to have to be pay reductions. That's just a fact. Uh, I, I firmly believe that. So as governments have to come in with the scissors and start cutting, there's a chance that they may have to cut your job if you're a government employee. Whereas, like I said, if, if they would, governments would kind of spread the burden out, maybe everyone takes a 5% pay cut, and that allows the government to avoid, say, whatever, 5,000 layoffs or something like that, then that's one way that it can uh, ensure that government employees you know, continue to be employed. Because like I say, I, I don't think anyone's really going to be cheering at the idea of layoffs and massive pay reductions for governments. It, it sucks on an individual level, and it would, would certainly hurt a lot of families. But it, it really comes down to a question of fairness. And this was actually what Ralph Klein and uh, the Alberta government did in the 1990s. That's what they said to the unions. Look, we want 5%. We've got to get our costs under control. So either we, we make a 5% cut across the board, or we have to lay off X number of employees. And the unions agreed to it because they didn't want to lose all those members. The members didn't want to lose, potentially be someone, you know, who would lose their jobs. So it's, it's one way the governments can get their costs under control without, without really impacting the services that the public receives. Well, I'm glad you've, you've finished on those two points. I mean, one is it's not fair to, to ask struggling taxpayers to do all of the heavy lifting. Governments have huge deficits. I mean, the question is you got either cut spending or raise taxes. And I mean, tax hikes, they have to be off the table. I mean, nobody can afford them. So we do need to see governments tighten their belts. And, and of course, if you reduce salaries and you have more money to, to either fill the deficit gap or to lower taxes or to keep providing services, but more efficiently. So Colin, thank you so much for for joining the show today. 
And we will be including links to secondstreet.org's reports in the show notes. So anyone who's listening, if you want to read a little bit more, you can find that in the show notes. Now, this is very important work, especially as governments are grappling with massive deficits and with these labor costs making up huge portions of the total bill. And as I said, it's just not fair to make struggling taxpayers keep paying for growing government labor costs. So we're going to need to see our government employees willing to share in the tough times. And on that note, everyone out there, thank you so much for listening. And of course, we are going to have a lot more to say on this in the future. So stay tuned.